of our friends online, good morning, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday to you. We're so grateful that you've decided to take a little bit of time out of your Sunday morning, or maybe it's Tuesday morning, we don't know, because you could be on the podcast or on our website or Facebook, but whatever way, we're so grateful that you're with us. Uh, we'll be receiving communion together in a little bit, so if you're, or you're at home and you haven't already gotten some bread and some crackers, some juice, whatever, make sure that you do that, and we're so excited to celebrate this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter morning with yeah. you.
in Crossroads. Happy Easter Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I'm Arshan. This is Kelly. <laughs> I love her. All right. Claire tell me a lot to beat a word, so today we're all going to beat a word. All right. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the man said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Yes, he is risen. He is risen indeed, yes. And um, you'll notice my counterpart's not here today. I feel like uh, that means Claire. <laughs> Claire is not well. Uh, she's having a Zachariah moment. Uh, she literally has laryngitis. Um, and... Uh, really, really uh, wants to be here, sends her love this morning. I'm sure she's watching. So we say hello to everybody online, uh, and especially you, sweetheart. Um, Anyway, you know, in 37 years, the last 37 years, Claire has been uh, in some way or another um, either doing a sermon on Easter Sunday Uh, or singing, communicating God's Word that way, or doing both uh, every week except for twice. The other time uh, that she wasn't able to, one of our children had chicken pox, um, which uh, that was a, you know, that was a whole different story, but uh, she really sends her love, and she's very grateful, as well as I am, um, that, you know, because it's always a concern for Claire, and it is for me as well, that there is a matriarchal spirit on the platform communicating the gospel to each one of us every week, right? So we're grateful for Shauna and and everyone, Teshna and Taneka and Jess and Lindsay and all of the women that present the gospel to us. And uh, for you men, too, we think you're pretty cool as well. But, um, yeah, anyway... 
So, you know, context matters, doesn't it? Context really matters when you approach pretty much everything. Sometimes it's more important than other things. Like if I were to tell you, this is true, um, that uh, I was in the bathroom with a woman that wasn't my wife recently. Uh, now, you could take that any way. Like I waited till the kids left for this part of the conversation. You could, you could like, you're already imagining all sorts of things because um, you don't really have context, so you're imagining bizarre, weird things. That's your problem. Anyway, um, Claire and I went to this event. We were celebrating our anniversary. We went to this event, and it was, um, it was an event that there were a lot of women attending. There were several thousand people uh, at this event, and I looked around when I got there. There were probably about 10 men. I'm not exaggerating that. This is part of the context. So in that, con- you know, a lot of things are different. Um, if you're a man in that context, one is just keep your head down. And um, I had to go to the bathroom. I went into the restroom. It's a big, you know, big event, big auditorium type deal. I'm in the restroom. It wasn't crowded at all. Anyway, I was there, and I heard somebody else in the restroom, and um, as I was standing there, all of a sudden, this woman walks out of the restroom. And she, she looked at me, she said, oh, I didn't know there were any men in here. And she threw, I was in the men's room, by the way. I was in the men's room. <laughs> now, I just think she assumed there were no men. She wasn't going to wait in that long line where all those women were trying to get in the women's room. I, you know, I've been at men's events before where I've seen men go in the women's room. It happens, right? So we just kind of had a chuckle. She, she chuckled on the way out. She was in a hurry. But if you don't have context, you can imagine all kinds of things, right? And thus it is with the resurrection. With the resurrection, um, our context, if we're not careful, is what we're experiencing today. Uh, Some of us dressed up, put on a tie, a dress, you know, we're getting ready to have a great dinner. We're going to celebrate as we should because Jesus is alive. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Our our purview of the resurrection 2,000 years later is pretty amazing. Like the benefits of what the resurrection means to each person, every human being on earth is really profound, but we've got the advantage of understanding that in hindsight. And what we can easily forget when we read scripture or when we consider history is the context that this happens in and what it might have felt like for the people that were experiencing firsthand. Now, we know this, right? We know that the disciples and pretty much everybody, except a a couple of the women, a few of the women, and John. So you've got, like, the Marys are all at the cross, and John is at the cross. Everybody else is gone. They are. It's over over for them. They're hiding. They're afraid. uh, And they're all afraid because it's confusing, right? Now, um, one of the things uh, that's important for us to remember is... In, in a lot of ways, because we're created in God's image, we're like God. In the way that we're like God is we can imagine the future. We have the ability to imagine. Uh, but we're not like God in that we can't control the future. Now, um, when it comes to imagining your own future, if you could go, if you had two friends, and you could go to those two friends and ask them about the future and they knew somehow, and one of them were able to tell you what feels good, 
and then the other one would tell you what is actual, the reality of what is going to happen, even though it's hard and difficult, which one would you think you would choose? I think most of us, if maybe not all of us, would want to hear the hard truth. As difficult as that can be, we want to know what that is so we can kind of be ready for that, right? So what happens when it comes to the resurrection, uh, especially those that are skeptical of the resurrection, is it, it, it takes on, as Sigmund Freud said, he said that the resurrection is merely wish fulfillment. Like you had this group of people that really wished that Jesus resurrected from the dead, and at a certain point they concocted this story. There has to be an explanation, right, for why people, more than 2 billion people around the world today, will be celebrating in one way or another Easter Resurrection Sunday. There has to be some reason for that, right? When it comes to the resurrection, if it's not true, you've got to talk about it, and you've got to have a reason to not believe in it. And maybe some of you in the room or online can relate to this as well. The general thought is it goes something like this. Well, uh, the, re- the resurrection in, in today's culture. Well, the resurrection uh, is a legend that morphed out of wishful belief of a group of disappointed, hopeless, and sad followers that their leader was dead. So over time, they concocted this story that led to what is now called the church. Because we all know, they would say, or most of us know, that especially in the ancient world, people were gullible, and they were non-scientific people. And some of those same people would say, and the people that are still in the church are all like that as well. The problem, though, is that's not what the evidence portrays. The evidence doesn't portray a bunch of wishful thinking people. The experience of that day, there was no such wishful thinking going on. And all of the evidence and everything that we see and read and know about that day and the days that would follow are quite different than wish fulfillment. Claire says, um, she, we, we chuckle about this. How many of you are optimistic people? You'd say you're optimistic. Yeah. All right. Um, raise your hand if you're optimistic. It's good to be optimistic, right? Claire says that I am at times toxically optimistic. <laughs> Isn't that a great term? I laugh. I'm like, how can you be toxic? And she has a reason why I can be toxic. It's like you're positive when there's no good reason to be positive. It's like toxically optimistic. But I have to tell you, it would be hard to be optimistic If you were one of the disciples, if you were one of the Marys, if you were one of the women uh, in those early moments after the crucifixion, it would be hard to be optimistic. I don't think I could have been optimistic. But see, there's this sense because of how we live now that this was this warm, fuzzy event. It was a feel-good event. But the facts say this was not a feel-good event. See, basically what happens nowadays when we talk about the resurrection, we talk about it in terms of, over and over and over again, mainly in terms of this becomes our opportunity to have eternity with God in heaven. And rightfully so, and we should keep talking about that. That is so critical because that's a very important part of it. But understand this. 
that those according to every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those that were there that day, they were freaking out, basically. The resurrection was something they were joyful about, and they were also intensely fearful when it happened. For instance, in Mark, there's the women at the tomb, the Scripture describes. And in Mark, the Scripture says um, that Jesus, Jesus rises from the dead, and this is what it says about the women. And this is how the book of Mark actually ends. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb and said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So they're, they're told that Jesus is risen from the dead, and their response is bewilderment. It's fear. It's trembling. They're afraid. The instruction was to go tell the, some of the guys, the disciples, and on their, on their journey to get to that place, they don't even want to talk to anyone, the Scripture says. In Luke, it goes on. And it says in Luke 24, uh, verse 5, it says that in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. They were so afraid when those angels showed up, they bowed down to the ground because they were freaking out. They were afraid. It says of the disciples, the disciples locked themselves in a room They had been told at that point that Jesus had resurrected from the dead and they were afraid of the same people that had nailed Jesus to a cross and what they could do to them. They're locked in a room and the scripture tells us in, in Luke, it says, I'm sorry, in, in, yes, in Luke 24, 37, it says, and they were startled and frightened when they saw Jesus, thinking they saw a ghost. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like in here. It wasn't like they, they were in this room and somebody said, Jesus is risen, and they're all in one voice. Let's say it together. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's try it again. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. That is not happening in that room. You get this, right? They're seeing Jesus and they're freaking out. No matter how toxically optimistic you are, you're trying to work through all this stuff, right? So now they've, they've realized, John puts it this way in, in chapter 20. <laughs> Again, he's describing that the disciples are hiding behind locked doors because they're so afraid. The disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. You will not find in the Gospels at any stage a mention of the future hope of Christians. In the Gospels, it doesn't talk about immortality for Christ followers. That comes years later. It comes much later. They are full of joy, and they're full of fear. They're bewildered. Now, 
There's no clear hope in the resurrection for themselves like we are able to have because context matters. There's no clear hope for them in the resurrection till later when they look back on the events and they look back on what Jesus said and they look back and things began to come to clarity for them. Things like that Paul uh, talked about in 1 Corinthians 15. Where, O grave, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? That came later. Jesus' resurrection meant Jesus was alive. They were seeing that. It vindicated Jesus. It made Jesus' words true. It brought texture to it. However, for them, for each and every one of them, it meant more danger. It meant more work. It meant more of the unknown. Listen to this in Matthew 28, 8. It says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Full of joy, Jesus is alive. Full of fear, the Romans didn't take Jesus out. After all, those same people, Jesus is saying, now it's your turn to go face them. It's your turn to go be in the midst of those powers. You know, the ones that had me crucified. Go tell them the movement is alive. Tell them that you'll, you'll have to make some more crosses, you'll have to purchase some more uh, instruments of pain and torture because the movement is about to explode. And these people are freaking out. They knew their lives had changed in an instant. This was not wishful thinking. It was exciting. It was thrilling. And it was terrifying. Joy and terror. Christ is risen. This is awesome. Oh no. We're all going to die. Jesus says to Mary at one point, this is almost hilarious when you read it. You ever read stuff? It's like Jesus, he says stuff and you're like, was that a wise crack? Like, I mean, was he trying to like just like lighten it up? Was he being toxically optimistic? Anyway, <laughs> I think so. Anyway, so Jesus says to Mary, I'm sorry, Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So this is what's happening. Mary sees Jesus, and Jesus says Mary. He, she knows it's Jesus, right? She, she wants to get a hold of Jesus. She wants to hug him. It's like she's got all of these emotions going on, and Jesus doesn't let her do that. How about a hug, Jesus? Like, help a sister out here. He says, do not hold on to me, I haven't ascended to the Father. Go instead to the brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In other words, he doesn't offer comforting by giving her a hug or acknowledging the, the, the turmoil that's going on in that way. Basically, he says to her, Mary, you are the first person in the church. The apostle to all apostles, Mary. 
You are the first one to know this. Now go. Start telling people. You have work to do, Mary. Go tell them they have work to do. Go spread the word. There's one person in the church, Mary, against the Roman Empire. It's you. And off she goes. Couldn't you give her a hug? I mean, if you've got questions when you get to heaven, that should be, that's one I might ask. Like, really? How about a hug for Mary in that moment? Whatever you think of the resurrection story, do not think it was immediately received as their wishes for immortality fulfilled. They didn't have a clue in life. They knew Jesus resurrected, but they did not understand what all of those things that Jesus had talked about, at that point, what it meant. It began to unfold over time as they began to consider and have conversations about the things that Jesus said and did. These people were stunned, excited, joyful, in deep fear and concern because the exciting news came at a deep personal cost to them and they immediately knew it. There was no turning back now. Everything changed and changes because of the resurrection. The resurrection happens overnight, but the unfolding and the understanding happens over time. It is most logical to believe that they believe Jesus is alive and was alive because Jesus is alive. Let me say it again. The most logical reason for them to believe Jesus is alive is because Jesus is alive. Amen? See, Christ is risen, and now they know they have a costly and dangerous purpose. People want to know their purpose. People want to know the meaning for life. We all want to know that. We want to know what's the meaning of our own life. Skeptics would say that you have no meaning, you have no purpose, but Jesus would say your life is full of meaning. And the resurrection is the place that defines the purpose and meaning of each and every one of our lives. See, when our lives are placed in this greater story of God, what God has done and continues to do on the earth, that and and God continues to create, it's in that place that your life and mine has meaning. See, meaning, again, it takes context. I remember years ago, I was, my grandfather, one of my grandfathers was an intense alcoholic, Um, I think I was 13 when he died, and he was career military. And um, I think it was after, shortly after World War II, he might have been there before the war ended. He was a CB at that point. He had served in different parts of the military. But what I remember about my grandfather, let me change channels for a second. What I remember about my grandfather and his drinking is because it just wasn't a part of our life growing up My mom and dad just weren't drinkers and stuff. We just didn't, that stuff wasn't happening a lot in our house. But when my grandfather would come, because most of the time he was out of the country or something, it was like we didn't know, it was was very uneasy, right? We didn't know what was going to happen. 
And as a little kid, you know, you're wondering what, why, you know, I love my grandpa, but I don't know what the deal is here. Anyway, um, so shortly after World War II, I know, again, he might have been there during, during, before the war ended, but shortly after World War II, he was in, like, Berlin and Munich, and he was a part of, with the Seabees, he was a part of the restructuring of Germany. That was part of his responsibility with his unit. So I was watching Saving Private Ryan, and I'm watching this movie, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, um, but it's really hard to watch. I have friends that have been in the military that just will not even watch it. Anyway, I'm watching this movie, and all of the sudden, I mean, I'm, I'm in my 40s, and all of the sudden, something triggers in me. It, like, connects. This is the context. And all of the sudden, all of the pain of my grandfather's life, and all of the addiction, and all of the trauma, In an instant, it made sense. My grandfather experienced stuff that no human should have to ever experience. Context matters. It changed the way I viewed my grandfather's life. Now, the addiction wasn't good, and my grandfather, by the time I realized it was long gone, but it helped me process this. You ever see a movie, you're surprised by the ending and then you kind of go back and you start to look or you have a situation where something comes to a conclusion and you say, man, if I'd have known all that, I would have reacted different, but that isn't how it is. These people were not having Easter egg hunts. They weren't going out for dinner after church They were freaking out. And they were full of joy. See, one person said, every life is an unfinished sentence. The question is, when you ask, does my life have meaning? Know this, your life has meaning. And it has meaning in Jesus. Jesus would say to each and every one of us, your life has deep meaning. In the context of Jesus' resurrection, your life and mine are full of purpose and full of meaning. We believe Jesus is alive because Jesus is alive. I want to leave you with this question for all of us. I think this is... Such a beautiful question. Our Sean and Kelly read through this wonderful scripture in Luke 24. And I want to leave you to consider this question in Luke 24, 5. It's so profound and so connected to the meaning of your life and the purpose of your life and the meaning of my life and the purpose of my life. And it's simply this. Why? Do we look for the living among the dead? I spent the first 18 years of my life looking for the living among dead things, thinking somehow the world and the things the world had to offer could fulfill what I was desiring. 
for some of us, we're, we're, we're looking for the living in our self-reliance, in our ego. Some of us, in our theological shame, God, it is not God ever to shame you. Your theology needs to change if your theology is shaming, if it shames you, if it shames anyone else. The scripture tells us in Isaiah 25 that Jesus came to take our shame, not to put it on us. Theological arrogance. Why would we look for the living among the dead? Jesus isn't there. Our sins, our addictions, and this one's hard, our hiddenness. Jesus wants us all to come out of hiding and be vulnerable and not be full of shame. Jesus is not in those places. He is risen. So what is it in your life maybe you need to let go of? What tomb do you need to move away from and move into resurrection living? We're going to pray here in a minute. For some of us, maybe for the first time, we would say, my tomb is just representative of my life that I refuse to connect to God's greater purpose in my life. I need to let that go. I need to let that old way of being go. You can do that today. You can just say, this is my day for that. For you, maybe the place that you're like consistently, like, I, man, I was just thinking the world was just going to come alive to me those first 18 years. And there were days I thought I was on the precipice of, man, this is going to come alive. And then tomorrow came. And it wasn't until I said, I want a resurrected life. I'm tired of looking in cemeteries for the living. So what is it in your life, as you think about it, that you would say, that represents a place of a tomb and not a place of life. See, what starts to happen with these people is they take this shift because they realize we're not going to, we're not going to look for the living among the dead anymore. Jesus has now taught us that. And even at the greatest price of their lives, they were all in. So what might it be for you and me? So why don't we stand and pray? And as we pray, just have that thought before God. Know that God hears you. God sees you. God is considering what you're asking for and whether or not you're accepting an invitation from him. So God, even on this day, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for meaning purpose. Your word said, says in John 10, 10, that you have come 
that we would have life abundant, life to the full, meaningful life, purpose-filled life. The things we put our hands to, our families, our relationships, our careers, our connecting with one another, we embrace that kind of resurrection living. And we also know that the enemy has only come to steal, to rob, and to destroy. Trying to cut off life, trying to put addictions on us, trying to, trying to get us stuck in our ego exaltations, trying to think that we can make it work out. God, we come as people full of joy and full of, in many ways, fear, a holy fear. And we say, God, open our lives to you in the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. And I pray on this day, especially for my friends that maybe for the first time or in a renewed time are saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm ready to make a decision, to make a turn in my life walking away from that graveyard that I've been living in. And I'm going to go in pursuit of the living. And you have shown me where life is. So God, I pray for each and every one of my friends that are in that place today. Give them courage and strengthen them. Help them to make the connections they need to make for this next step on the journey they're on. We ask these beautiful things, knowing you are a providing God. We forget none of your benefits on this day. And we receive your love in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Now listen, if today you made what you think is a really defining kind of conscious decision, I just want to encourage you Just share that with somebody that you can trust. Someone that you can trust with that sacred piece of your heart. Might be a family member, might be, you know, somebody that's a friend. If you don't know who that might be, you certainly can come up and talk to me or one of the other pastors about it. And just know that you're not in this journey alone. One of the things I love about the resurrection story is they're all in fear together. Like, they were abandoned from the cross, but then all of a sudden there's this shift that starts to happen. And even though they're really kind of, they're confused and they're afraid, they start to gather. And don't ever underestimate the power in even being afraid of the future together. If you're in pursuit of Jesus, there's something powerful in that. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Happy Easter. Jesus is alive. Well, before we go today, everybody, can we give uh, one another the sign of peace, whether it's a handshake or a hug for people in our pod, or maybe those that aren't right with us, give each other the peace sign across the room. And as we go, I want to ask these um, awesome women teachers of God, Taneka and Teshna, Shauna, Jess, and Lindsay, to sing this blessing over you, and you can sing it along with them as well.